I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. He's the rapper Big Pooh, and our guest today is Al Galdi from now the Al Galdi Podcast. Al, thanks for coming on today. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. No doubt. Al, last time uh, you and I talked, uh, we were curious about the uh, Kyle Smith. He's now gone. Uh, That made a lot of sense. Before we get to all that, though, let's handle a little business. Uh, You left the radio station. You are now officially with Blue Wire. Uh, So welcome to the Blue Wire family. And um, yeah, we're excited about that. I'm sure you are, too. Yeah, man, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've been doing the Al Goldie podcast for a little more than a month now, and we're pumping out new episodes five days a week, Monday through Friday, out by 5 a.m., and been very well received, uh, you know, very lucky with the response so far, and uh, Blue Wire's been a great partner, and uh, just look uh, to keep it going. So appreciate you giving me the chance to give that a nice little plug here. It is the Blue Wire, it is the Al Goldie podcast and not the Al Goldie show, uh, is that That's because right. your, pre- your previous employer owns the rights to that? I'm assuming. Well, yeah, I mean they they're the ones that podcasted the radio show, so yeah, it is a little confusing. I've had some people be like, "Which one is it?" But just simply type in Al Galdi podcast, and that's what you're looking for. So, I mean, you'll notice with the other ones that come up, you know, there haven't been any new episodes for a while. So, I mean, it'll it'll make sense. But yeah, I, I wish they would just remove those because it just it, all it does is cause confusion in the marketplace. So I don't know. Maybe we can get that taken care of. But yeah, Al Goldi podcast. Search that. Find that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, et cetera. And uh, you're good to go. All right. Jumping into the team. Um, what, what do you think of the Washington football team's offseason thus far? Yeah, I like it. I mean, you know, everything comes with the caveat of they haven't played a game yet. And so all this is kind of theoretical. But. I think everything they've done has made sense. You know, they're not acting recklessly, but I think they are acting with urgency. They have a plan. You know, I think like you can see what they're doing and understand kind of where they're coming from with what they're doing. I think they have very aggressively attacked what was by far their biggest weakness last season, which was their passing offense. So I'm very encouraged by that. that There's this self-awareness of, yeah, we went seven and nine and won a division, but we were still a very flawed team and we need to correct what was our biggest flaw. So, you know, and getting Fitzpatrick and signing Samuel and signing Humphreys are clearly making a concerted effort to rectify that passing game and to make it better. So I really like that. I think the William Jackson, the third signing was smart. You know, he was by all indications, the best free agent corner out there. They paid him good money, but not overwhelming money. So I think, you know, that speaks well, you know, there's still work to do. So I, I think it's kind of an incomplete, like you got to see what they do with linebacker. I think there are some other things you'd like to see them shore up. I'm not a fan of what's going on with this Brandon Sheriff situation, but if they get a long-term deal done, then I think it's palatable that they tag him again. What I just don't want to have happen is for him to play a second straight year under the terms of a franchise tag. But that would really be my only complaint. I I think everything else makes sense. Everything else I think you feel good about. The draft is going to be huge, uh, but I think so far so good. I think Ron and company have done a nice job here. Now, I know that uh, one of your concerns with the Ron Rivera hire Uh, as well as mine and many others, was him not being progressive enough. 
And it seems like with what the offensive coordinator is trying to do and with the addition of Fitzpatrick, that they plan on being aggressive on offense, which would kind of steer different than what Rivera has done in the past. Is that how you see it? Well, you know, I actually like a lot of what they did do offensively last season, especially in terms of like throwing on early downs, throwing on first down, uh, making usage of motion, things like that. You know, they obviously have made it a point to get a lot of these position flex guys, you know, guys who can catch the ball and run with the ball, you know, people like um, like Samuel and Gibson and McKissick. So I think from that standpoint, they're progressive. I think what's so hard to gauge, though, is what that offense looks like when it's firing on all cylinders and is having itself a quarterback who you trust. And, and I think like, that's, that's where it's like, I'm still reserving judgment, especially on Scott Turner. And so we see this team with, you know, capable quarterback play, which I think is a big part of why they signed Fitzpatrick. And, you know, I think going back to last year, a big part of why they benched Dwayne Haskins, but, you know, even upon benching Dwayne, you still did not get great quarterback play. You got, you know, mediocre play in a lot of different ways. So, I think when it comes to some of the things that like the more modern teams are doing, the more progressive teams are doing, I think there are actually a lot of indications that Washington is going in those directions. I think better quarterback play will allow them to do more with that stuff. But even in what we did see last year, I thought you saw enough signs of things, I mean, especially the early down passing. They used to never do that with Bill Callahan scheming up the run game. And they did so much of that last year, throwing on first downs. It was one of my favorite things about them offensively and you know I say that understanding their offense wasn't very good but I thought that was really encouraging that they did that the the, the next big thing they need to conquer is the explosive play they've got to get more chunk plays they've got to get bigger plays and again I think that's where you get to Fitzpatrick and you know Samuel the speed and people like that Um, I would be stunned and very disappointed if we don't see much uh, many more explosive plays you know passing plays of 15 or 20 yards at least Uh, This coming season, I think that's going to be a a real emphasis of this offense. And if you can do that, you know, you're playing with the big boys. If you can consistently connect on the big play, you've got it. You've got a chance. I'm 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 a defensive guy. I'm interested on what do you think the team does with Landon Collins when he comes back? He was you know, he's not a cover safety in no way, shape or form. And he's coming off one of the, the most worst injuries uh, uh athlete can have an Achilles tear. Do you see them trying to move him more into a linebacker hybrid type role or him continuing to uh, play safety as he's done? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's one of the more intriguing things is how they handle the Collins scenario of what happened last year. He doesn't seem to want to move the linebacker. Like, he's been pretty adamant about that on social media, you know, and I know social media posts aren't everything, but these days, like, you got to pay attention to him, and he doesn't seem to have any real interest in doing that. I'm not even sure necessarily that Ron and Jack would want that. I think what you're probably going to end up seeing is a lot of three safety looks. They actually did a decent amount of that this past year. You know, they're obviously in nickel so much of the time anyway that you're going to need five defensive backs out there. And so I could be I, I could very much see like, OK, just a lot of looks in 2021 where it's Landon Collins, it's Cameron Curl. And then, you know, I guess for now, DeShazer Everett as your three safeties out there. Um, you know, I, I think there's also a thing of they could do it where they don't call him a linebacker. He's still a safety, quote unquote. But in these three safety looks, he's having linebacker responsibilities. You know, like I, I could see them kind of doing it that way. And, you know, he becomes one of these hybrid types, you know, the likes of which we've seen a lot of in recent years. And 
they never say that he's a linebacker, but he's doing a, a lot more linebacker stuff. So I think that's possible as well. You know, they still have a ways to go, I think, at corner. They don't have a lot of depth at corner, even with this recent signing of Daryl Roberts. So if you're going to be going with a lot of five and six defensive back looks, it may well be that you just have, you know, a lot of uh, alignments where you have three safeties next year. I don't see it as Landon Collins is going to just be a bench guy and not, you know, uh, play a lot in games. He's paid a lot of money and he is talented. I mean, he did not look good in his playing time in 2020. I get that tackling was woeful, but I think he is better than that. But to that point, also, you're not benching Cameron Curl. Like Cameron Curl to me should be here to stay. Like this is not, you know, a cutesy little thing he did in his rookie year. And now it's like back to the bench. Like, no, he earned himself a starting spot. Uh, on this team he earned himself ample playing time in 2021 and I, I thought Everett did too uh, Everett was a revelation of free safety for so much of last season so you're not displacing either one of those guys you know assuming Everett's healthy uh, you know I think it's just you, you work you look for ways to get all three onto the field and you just try to attack things that way you know it's interesting you say that on Friday we had Austin Gale and Nick Ackridge from Pro Football focus on and I asked them I said what is going on with the Sam linebacker? Does it even exist anymore? Because to your point, Al, we played 4-2-5 a ton last year. And really, we only knew about Curl because they were playing him with Collins on the field at the same time. So I, I don't think that they'll be hesitant to do that. I, I know that they also uh, love Reeves. And for the life of me, I cannot think who the kid they drafted from Michigan is. Uh, oh, kind of that Piper, well, say again? Khalid Hudson. That's right. My understanding is they're super high on that guy, too. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah, I mean, it might explain why they haven't done a lot at linebacker yet, that maybe their plan isn't to use a lot of linebackers next year. I mean, they didn't they didn't use a lot of linebackers in 2020. You know, as the season went on, it was Holcomb and Bostic, and that was it. Kevin Pierre Lewis's time went down, and Hudson really never ended up playing that much. So, I mean, I don't think that's – ideal like I think you do need to beef up that backer but it may be that they're they, they don't mind what they did last year and you know hey we have all these defensive linemen maybe linebacker isn't great for us but we feel really good about what we have in the secondary and we'll just kind of overload things that way um it'll be interesting I mean if they if we go through the draft and they still haven't taken anyone or acquired anyone we are like okay that guy could be a starting linebacker then I think you really have to start to wonder like maybe it's just going to be a lot of those four, two, five looks in 2021. And, you know, I think one of the really interesting things about defense right now in the NFL is that you can do it that way. Defenses to me are becoming so interesting and so varied. And it's just like this cookie cutter thing we became so used to. I think that's going bye-bye. Like you're seeing this, this uh, melding of worlds where corners play safety and safeties can play corner and linebackers can play safety. And it's like, there's a real gray area now. So it, it, it's almost like you, are doing away with labels and you know it's almost like this positionless approach to defense especially beyond the front four or front three and uh, you know Washington in a lot of ways was emblematic of that last year and I, I suppose we could see more of that this year because it is impossible to ignore man they've done very little at linebacker and we all went into this offseason saying like they got to address linebacker well they haven't yet and you know we're now multiple weeks obviously in the free agency and they didn't address safety either no, which which tells me they they like and they believe in what they saw last year from Everett and Reeves. Like in and I don't blame them. I thought both guys played well, especially Everett. So, you know, it, there's always a danger of 
eh, okay, they look good, but it was, you know, one season or half a season. Like, how much can you buy into that? But I think they like those guys, you know, again, with someone like Fuller, he can play safety. You know, Daryl Roberts, who they just signed, he's actually played a lot of safety in his career. So you've got, you really do have a lot of options on the back end. And, you know, that's obviously another area that we could certainly see them address in the draft. Al, I'm interested your take on, I know on social media, every time a transaction happens and it's a former Carolina guy, it's like a collective sigh amongst yeah. amongst fans, uh, being that Ron did get fired um, at, at his last season in Carolina, but just adding so many um, coaches, front office personnel, player, former players, like what are your thoughts on him bringing Carolina up to D.C. with him? Yeah, so I think nothing matters if you win. Like, if these guys come here and do well, I got no problem with it. I, I think I, I differentiate personally between the Panther skin players he's bringing up versus the Panther skin coaches and executives he's bringing up. I think with the executives and with the behind-the-scenes people, I think there's a strategy with that. Uh, I think Ron, and I've talked about this on my podcast, I think Ron is trying to establish essentially his army, like his crew of guys. Because I think Ron is very aware of the thing that has doomed so many of his predecessors here, which is inevitably an organizational divide arises and you get these warring factions within the front office or within the coaching staff in the front office, you know, whether it's Jay Gruden versus Bruce Allen or Mike Shanahan versus Dan Snyder, or, you know, even going back years like Jim Zorn versus Vinny Serrato or Steve Spurrier had issues with Vinny Serrato, like all these kinds of things. And I think what Ron is doing with a lot of that stuff is he's fortifying himself and, you know, he's bringing in people who he knows are going to be loyal to him. It's impossible to ignore, you know, it's, it's not just like, you know, I don't know, Kyle Smith, who's gone and he was a Bruce Allen guy. It's a lot of people who are Bruce guys are gone. Eric Schaefer got whacked last off season. You look at, you know, Larry Hess, a longtime Danny Bruce guy whacked last off season. You look at a lot of the lower level behind the scenes people this off season, you know, somebody like Paul Kelly is gone. Cole Spencer in the scouting department, Jeff Scott in the scouting department. And I think, Ron, I think there's a real strategy behind this. Now, that's not to say that he hated all these people or couldn't trust any of these people, but I think Ron is looking for guys who are going to be loyal to him. And if it ever goes down, if the stuff ever goes down between Ron and Dan or Ron and anybody else, Ron knows that he's got his crew, his army, his people who are with him. You know, like Marty Herney, you know, is a Ron guy, and he's not deviating from that. Um, I think you could say the same thing about somebody like Martin Mayhew, even though they don't necessarily have a lengthy past together. Ron brought Martin here. Uh, you look at someone like the new head trainer, the guy who replaced Larry Hess, Ryan Vermillion, longtime Panthers guy. That's a Ron guy. So I think that's what a lot of that stuff is about. With the players, I mean, we'll see. Um, I, I think it's too early to tell. I mean, a lot of the former Panthers being brought on board are like these fringe guys. You know, people like uh, like that offensive lineman they signed, Tyler Larson, and, and that linebacker, uh, I think David Mayo, I think his name is. You know, there's people like that. So I, I don't get too caught up in that. And, and I'll say this, too. Going back to some of the coaches and executives, like, okay, so this guy Vermillion, longtime trainer for the Panthers, brought here last year. Washington had a very good year from an injury standpoint, from a health standpoint. Washington did an excellent job with the COVID-19 pandemic, and Vermillion got a lot of credit for that. So, yeah, he's a Ron guy, but he seems to be really good at what he does. You know, the offensive line coach, John Matsko, longtime Panthers guy, he comes here. And what happens? The, the, the same offensive line that everybody was throwing shade on early in the year 
ended up grading out quite well. And, you know, people like Cornelius Lucas and Wes Schweitzer and Chase Roulier all had really good seasons. Morgan Moses had his best season in a while. Brandon Sheriff made first team all pro. So pretty clear this guy Matsko knows what he's doing. The tight ends coach, Pete Hayner. Ron has credited him many times of being the impetus for signing Logan Thomas. We all know how well that worked out. So, I mean, it is funny how many of these people with Panthers ties are being brought in, but at least so far, I have to say it's working out more than it isn't. It's, it's interesting. We're, we're in the middle of the rebuild, right? If we go seven and nine, eight and eight, nine wins next year, it'd be, it'd be the smoothest teardown rebuild I think I've ever seen. And to that, I know that they have said that, he has been in con Ron in contact with McDermott and, and being up at, and with the bills to kind of use that as, as the model. And when he talked to them, basically what they tell him is, listen, we would love to win football games 17, 14, but you're going to die of a heart attack. If you do that, you have to put points up. And it feels like that's why we've got Fitzmagic in the building now, right? Like, And kind of that's what they did in Kansas City when Alex was there. Andy Reid had said multiple times he would rather have a guy that would go out and throw a pick knowing that he can throw a touchdown on the very next play than dialing it all back and scaling it all back so that you don't make mistakes. It, and it, it looks like it proves that through Fitzpatrick because receivers are signing Right. I mean, I don't yeah. think receivers were interested in coming with, you know, player X and B on the roster. Yeah. People really like Fitzpatrick. And, and I tell you what, Fitzpatrick to me is someone, the more you dig, the more you kind of do the work, the more you like what you see. He's been sneaky, really good the last few years. And, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Like everyone kind of bases their opinion on Fitzpatrick on uh, the guy who throws picks and the guy who's been on a million teams and, that's just true. I'm not trying to tell you that it isn't, but top 10 in the NFL in total QBR each of the last two years, like very few people can say that led the league in yards per pass attempt three years ago when he didn't qualify for the QBR rankings. He, if he remains the starter for the dolphins last year, they make the playoffs. Like I'm convinced of that. And even in not making the postseason, Miami went 10 and six. Like how many people thought that would happen and make no mistake. They went 10 and six because of him, not because of Tua. Like he got that Dolphins team to 10 and six last year. So, you know, you're not, I mean, I know he's older and I know like he's not going to be here five years from now, but he's better than I think people give him credit for. And especially in today's NFL where the aging curve for quarterbacks is such to where you can be good deep in your thirties, if not your forties, I don't think it's unreasonable to wonder if maybe Fitzpatrick could be the guy here for multiple seasons, like, you know, maybe two years, not just this one year, but get back to what you said. I, I think, yeah, like, we all kind of grew up with this idea of you win with defense in a running game. And there is truth in that, but with the way the league is now, you got to score and it's really difficult. And it's, it's hard to sustain winning every week, you know, 16, 10, you know, 17, 13. Like if you can do it great, because at the end of the day, all you do want to do is win. But what you really want to be able to do is, okay, we know we're going to score 24, 27, 30 points, you know, and, and like, you feel comfort in saying that week in and week out. And, okay, if you happen to hold the opposition to 10, great. But if you give up 17 or 21, you're not doomed. You know, that, that was one of the frustrations with Washington this past year. The defense was really good. It was much improved. But it felt like the defense had to be near perfect for Washington to win. And as improved as the defense was, it wasn't perfect. It's hard to be perfect in today's NFL. And you look at the schedule for next year, and I'm not big on playing the schedule game, but 
you know, we're all aware of who Washington is facing, and it looks like a murderous row of opposing quarterbacks. Even if the defense is better, you're still going to give some stuff up next year. When you're facing Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and presumably a healthy Dak Prescott, you're going to give stuff up. So, like, this formula of you win 16-13, I don't think that's very hard to do. you got to score. And uh, hopefully we see more of that next year for Washington. I uh, just want to ask you a question about the draft. Right. Well, Washington football team draft specifically, we, we're seeing movement already in, in the draft with San Francisco making the move up and then Philly, Miami going back and Philly coming up, just whatever they all did. But do you foresee Washington just staying at 19, staying put at 19 and just picking the best available, the, you know, according to their board? Or do you see them trying to get into the action, depending on how the draft falls in front of them? Yeah, I mean, I think they're making calls. I, I think they're looking into things. Um, I think, though, what we've seen is that this is not a team that's in the mood to be giving up boatloads of picks to get anybody. You know, it was impossible, right, to see what the Niners just did in that trade up from 12 to 3 and not think about our team and wonder if our team should have done that or entertained doing that. And I don't think they ever really wanted to do that. I don't blame them, by the way. These trade ups in the top threes in NFL drafts for quarterbacks, like, they're not working out. Like, a lot of these you look back on them and they're just regrettable a few years later. I mean, I think about the Rams, what all they gave up to trade up to take golf. And then they have to attach first round picks to golf to get rid of them, to get Stafford. Like look at all those first round picks. The Rams have given up on Jared golf. And that's even with him getting them to a super bowl. And they still wanted to part ways with him. Like, what does that tell you? So I don't blame Washington for taking this approach. I think if, if they like say, a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance, and he happens to fall to the teens and you can make like a reasonable trade up. I could see Washington doing that, but I think it's pretty clear. Washington's not doing some ginormous leap from 19 to four or something or, or 19 to two or anything like that. So I, I think if someone can be acquired within reason, I think you might see that. Of course, so much of that is dependent on what Washington thinks of these guys. Cause it may well be that Ron and Marty and Martin think this is a two quarterback draft. And after Lawrence and Wilson, they're like, yeah, you know, these guys ain't all that. They're not worth it. And then specific to anyone else, I think by and large, unless you really love someone, I think there are enough good players in this draft to where you get someone good at 19. And one of the most interesting things, right, is to go through drafts over the years. And there are good to great players available basically at every spot in the first round. It's just a matter of identifying them. But, you know, I think about like TJ Watt, one of the best edge rushers in the game. He was taken late in the first round by the Steelers a few years ago. Like there are always good players to be had. It's just a matter of can you identify them? Um, and, and that's going to be the case here because, you know, that is one thing you do wonder about. Marty Herney in his second go round as Panthers GM did not do well in drafts. He had some good first round picks, but beyond the first round, didn't have a lot of success. You know, Martin Mayhew had a mixed draft track record as Lions GM. So that's that's the one thing I'm most curious about with the new look front office. Kyle Smith and company killed it in these drafts in recent years. And I think Washington needs to continue to do that. And I hope they do. And we'll see if they do. But this is a big draft. This is a big kind of, you know, let's see what you got here with this new look with Herney and Martin Mayhew having these big roles in the front office. One last one on the football team now, because I want to ask you a couple of weeks. We want to ask you a little wizards for you before you run. But uh, this uh, deal with them giving Snyder or allowing him to buy all the shares, this is not any, I mean, this means there's nothing coming out right in it that this, the whole thing is going to pass on. I think so. Um, 
you know, maybe there are some new things, but clearly there's going to be nothing new that's a bombshell. I think what you're probably going to get is a lot of affirming of what the Washington Post already has reported, which kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, they've paid Beth Wilkinson, what, probably millions of dollars. And, you know, it may well be that all she did was verify what the Post reported on for free. But yeah, there's no way that we're doing this thing of him buying out the minority owners if he's about to be ousted or even if he's about to be suspended. So it's just a matter of, first of all, when do the findings get announced? Do they ever get announced? Because we've never been told that they're going to be announced. We've all just kind of assumed that's going to happen, but we've never been told that with certainty. And what is the fine? Like, I mean, is there a number? Do they try to dress it up and find them like, you know, a million dollars or something? Or is it like 200 grand? But anything that was out there of he's going to be removed, uh, that's not happening. You know, Washington could lose its first round draft pick. That doesn't seem to be happening. I think it's really tough with this stuff. I think it's a lot of he said, she said, you know, so much of this stuff, especially Pacific to Snyder, allegedly happened years ago. I'm not saying it didn't happen. In fact, I tend to believe a lot of this stuff probably did happen. But it's one thing to think something happened. It's another thing to know with certainty that it happened. And you can't just remove someone as an owner because you happen to think these things happen. Like you need tangible, concrete evidence. And I don't know that they have that. And I don't know that the NFL wants to remove Snyder either because I'm willing to believe that a lot of these owners have stuff like this potentially in their past. And so if you're going to do Danny dirty because of this stuff, who knows what else could come out about other owners? Who knows what Danny or someone could maybe leak about other owners? So I think the NFL just wants this to go away. I think that's why they wanted this, this feud with the minority owners to go away. It got ugly. You know, all the stuff that was in the media about, you know, the back and forth and the smear campaign that Danny alleged against Dwight Shaw and then Bruce Allen. So, uh, yeah, I don't think Danny's going anywhere for a while. That being said, imagine how valuable an NFL franchise is with all the shares and, and no name. You get to name the team if you buy it, which I always kind of wondered if that was part of the reason why this thing stalled so long, because really the name process doesn't take three years. It could be part of why it's taken long. You know, I mean, you think about Washington, there's actually a lot going for Washington. It's in a top 10 television market. The league revenues are about to skyrocket because of the new media rights deals and then the influx of revenue that's going to be coming from legalized gambling. So, you know, it's not just that Dan is buying out the minority owners at a discount. It's that in a few years, the entire franchise is going to be worth so much more than it's worth even now. And so the financial windfall that he's about to reap through this, like you can't overstate this. You, you really cannot say enough how much of a win this has turned out to be for Dan Snyder. Like, I mean, I know he's despised and like you could say, OK, that's not winning. But in terms of like maximizing value and staying on board and increasing your power, he's won in this situation. And. It's just remarkable. I mean, it was, what, a month ago the Junkies had that report that he might be ousted, and here we are less than a month later, and the exact opposite has happened. Um, it's not what most people thought would happen, and it's probably what even fewer people ever wanted to happen. <laughs> Let's turn our attention to the other owner in D.C., Ted Leonsis and his, his Washington Wizards. Um, I'm interested your take on what they did at the deadline in giving up on a young – Troy Brown Jr. I mean, granted, for some something they needed, um, an athletic Daniel Gafford. But I'm interested your take on did you think they did enough at the deadline or, you know, they just par for the course with the Wizards? 
Yeah, I mean, they didn't do enough for this season, that's for sure. But I don't know that they were trying to do enough for this season. I, I think their lack of action at the deadline is kind of them saying, we are what we are. If we happen to make some kind of a run in the Eastern Conference this year, great. But it's not about this year. Uh, the Wizards have a lot of problems. First of all, I don't think Scott Brooks is going to be back next year. Uh, they are a horrible defensive team that Brooks cannot get them to play defense with any kind of consistency is an indictment of him. And I just think it's time to part ways with him. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happens before the end of the season. I don't think he's a terrible head coach, but he's not done a good enough job with this group over the last few years. So I think you start with that. When it comes to the two guys who just got traded, Troy Brown Jr. and Mo Wagner, they were clearly in Brooks's doghouse. You know, Brooks has messed with his rotations a lot this year. And Wagner went from never playing to then starting a ton to then going back to never playing again. You know, you've seen a lot of that. Brooks clearly never liked Troy Brown. Never. I, I don't I think it may have been a Jay Dwayne Haskins situation. I don't know that Brooks ever wanted Troy Brown. Brown never played. So, I mean, I don't know what to think of Troy Brown. Like, I'm not naive enough to think he had no culpability in never playing. Like, I'm sure there are things he didn't do that he needed to do to warrant playing more. But my God, like he was a DNPCD all the time under Scott Brooks. So not sure what to make of that. But with this team, you know, I think there are other tougher conversations that need to be had. Like everyone loves Bradley Beal, but Bradley Beal is a part of the bad defense. And if Bradley Beal is this alpha superstar that people talk him up to be, he gets his guys to play defense more consistently. And he does not do that. You know, Russell Westbrook is who he is. He's a triple-double machine. It's amazing he's already tied the franchise record for triple-doubles in a career, but he's an inefficient player. He's committing too many turnovers this year. He's not a great shooter, and that's a contract that very few teams are interested in. So I, I don't know, like, where you go from here in terms of, like, getting to another level. They need to be better defensively. Their next head coach has got to be someone who demands better defense. And there needs to be another big piece they can add to this mix if they're ever going to be serious about getting into that, you know, 45-50 win territory. I do like Rui Hachimura. I think there's something to build with, you know, with him there. I think Denny Abdi is going to be good, although his production has lessened in recent weeks. And get back to what they got at the deadline. You know, they basically swapped one first-round bust for another and getting back Chandler Hutchison. But Gafford is very intriguing. Young, athletic, long I mean, we saw in his Wizards debut that win over the Pistons on Saturday night, right? I mean, it was instant what, what he was doing out there. Played less than 14 minutes, had 13 points, five rebounds, three blocks. So I think there's something there with Gafford. But there are bigger picture items here, namely, who's going to be the next head coach? Are you ever going to get good defensively? And in terms of, like, getting another big piece to make you great, how do you go about doing that? And there are no clear answers to any of these questions right now. Does Tommy Shepard have the chops to fix it? I think he does. You know, I think a lot of this is, does he have the power to do as he wants to do? But I think he does. I think in the NBA, unfortunately, it takes time. It's not easy. You know, the NBA is tricky because you only get good when you accumulate multiple superstars. And to get multiple superstars, they have to want to come to you. You know, the players have so much power in the NBA. And right now, I don't know how you could say the Wizards are an overly attractive destination for a disgruntled superstar. Like, that's basically what the NBA is now. Who's the next great player to become unhappy and want out from his current team? And then where does that player want to go? One of the things I liked about Westbrook was he wanted to come here. I, I found that, like, endearing. Like, wow, he chose us. Like, no one ever chooses us. He actually chose us. So that was good. 
but you need more of that. And I don't know when, and I don't know how that's going to come. And if this continues in the next season and they're once again, next season, uh, a team that isn't very good and has all these issues we just outlined, then I do think you really have to look at doing the thing that they obviously don't want to do, but that is trading Bradley Beal. Like, first of all, I don't know how much longer Beal is going to want to be here. And remember he can opt out after a couple of seasons, but I mean, what are we doing here? If you don't get good quickly, uh, you need to trade away Beal because he's not going to want to stay here. And the last thing you want, of course, is for him to leave you via free agency. Like you want to get back the hall of assets Beal could command uh, were you to put him out there on the trade market. I'm of the belief that for the Wizards, the only way they're going to get that next piece is potentially through the draft. And that also means not having Scott Brooks back because he doesn't develop talent. But do you think that them, that's the reason why they didn't try to do more at the deadline? As you said, they are who they are. And right now they're, they have like the fifth, worst record in the NBA so they have a good chance of being somewhere nice in this you know supposed uh talented draft yeah I mean I think that's probably part of it I mean but I think also part of it is like what were they going to do that was going to drastically change their fortunes this year and and why would you trade away future ones to make a run at like the seventh spot in the east or something like that like I I just I, I don't know what the point of that would have been I mean remember They dealt along with John Wall, a first-round pick to get Westbrook. So they're already down a first-round pick with what they did. Now, I know it's a protected pick, but still, uh, they, to me, this season is a lost cause. And if the team happens to catch fire and make a charge of the postseason, you know, fine, whatever. I mean, the the East is so bad. That's another thing, too. This Eastern Conference has been so bad for so long, and they still can't make postseasons. Like, what does that say about you when you think about that? But, yeah, man, I I just think it's kind of like, we are what we are. The head coach is probably going to get fired and it would be pretty short-sighted to trade away assets just to try to maybe possibly finish the season at 500, which by the way, is going to still be hard to do even if a lot of things go well uh, down the stretch here. So unfortunately it's another season in which you're just kind of playing out the string. You get to the draft, but man, you know, it's tough with the draft because, it's hard to get a franchise changing guy unless you have like a top two, top three pick. And they so rarely get that their, their lottery and their luck in the lottery has been so bad over the years. It's just like, I never count on them. I never count for the ping pong balls to bounce in our wizards way. So, you know, maybe it's a great freak situation where a guy who ends up being awesome uh, falls to you later in a draft and you have the wherewithal to, to take the guy, but it's tough right now, man, that there's not an easy path for the wizards to get to where we want them to be. I think the Wizards always win. They lose a lot, but they win just enough yeah. to not have a chance to get in that top five. of. The I draft. think that's very true. I think that's very true. One last one, Al. Is the, is the division that the Caps playing in, will that end up helping them or hurting them? I'm thinking of like some of the really easy divisions around. The Caps are not in one that might be the best division going right now. Where do you see the Caps this season? Yeah, I mean, I think it helps. I also, though, think that the Stanley Cup playoffs are so much about goaltending and so much just about luck that I don't know how much it helps. Like, are the Caps going to be battle-tested come the postseason? Yes, but that's not going to matter if their two rookie goaltenders aren't playing well. And, and that's why 
so much of the season is about that. Vitek Vanacek, Ilya Samsonov, where are they at come the start of the postseason? Now, you know, I think the good news is each guy at various points has looked really good. But on the flip side, each guy at various points has struggled. And you're kind of not sure where they're going to be at come the start of the postseason. If, if you told me one guy catches fire, I could believe that. If you told me, man, goaltending is a real problem come the postseason, I could believe that too. I actually think that's going to be an interesting thing come the NHL trade deadline. Does Brian McClellan feel compelled to trade for a veteran goaltender or does he feel comfortable with what the Caps have? But, you know, the Caps, they obviously are doing really well. They have a, a tremendous set of forwards. I mean, it's not just Alex Ovechkin. It's, it's not just Nicholas Backstrom. It's people like TJ Oshie and Jacob Brana and Tom Wilson and Evgeny Kuznetsov. They're all firing in all cylinders right now. But one thing with the Caps is, some of their underlying numbers do suggest that the team isn't as good as the overall record says the caps have won a lot of one goal games. You know, they're not uh, blowing people out. You know, it's like an NFL team with a low point differential, but a really good record. So I, I do wonder if, okay, the record's great, or is the team as good as the record says, but the team is winning. I give Peter Lavia let a lot of credit for that. You know, caps have gotten a lot of mileage out of Zidane Chara in his age 43 season, doing a lot of good stuff at defenseman. That's been a lot of fun to see. So, I'm excited for the Caps. I, uh, I I just hope the goaltending is where you want it to become the postseason because so much of how you do in the playoffs, obviously, is about the guy in that. Al, we thank you for joining us today. Before we go, please let the people know where they can find you. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Al Galdi, and the Al Galdi podcast every weekday, Monday through Friday, out by 5 a.m. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, all that good stuff. Appreciate you guys having me back. And Al, you've got the Naps podcast too, right? That's right. Yes, Naps Chat podcast, myself and Mark Zuckerman. And we've been doing that twice a week. And that's going to get going truly with the start of the season on Thursday night. So morning after every Nats game, essentially a post-game podcast for every Nationals game this season. You know, we, we felt like Nats fans get underserved in this market, especially with some of the cutbacks at Masson. So we're, uh, we're changing that here. Post-game pods after every game, Nats Chat podcast. You can find that the same way. Uh, you find the Al Goldie podcast. Thank you, Thank you Al. We appreciate much. you. All right, no problem. Thank you. All right.